Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 553 for the 30th of July, 2017. This week, smartphones are handy devices. They help us find where we're going, remind us when we have to be there, keep track of our acquaintances, take pictures, send and receive email, and occasionally even allow us to make phone calls. But they can also be security hazards. Computer experts tell users not to apply a BIOS update unless they are sure it will solve a problem they're experiencing. I know this. Nonetheless, I reminded myself the hard way this week why computer experts say that. In short circuits, remember the old Nigerian scam that depended on poorly written messages from people who wanted to send you millions if you just send them a bit of expense money? Well, it's back, but with a twist. There's further proof, if you need it, that Macs aren't quite as secure as Mac owners might like to believe. Mean old Microsoft is going to kill paint. At least that's what the rumor mill says. Maybe we should check out the real story. In spare parts, only on the website, could Adobe's next frontier be virtual reality? This appears to be likely. Desktop computers and tablets are declining in sales, but tablet-like two-in-one devices could take over as the primary business computer soon. Maybe you saw a report fairly recently that suggested free smartphone charging stations can steal information from the phone. A company called Authenticate performed an experiment that showed most people would use a free charging system without asking about security. So does this mean you shouldn't plug your cell phone into a power outlet at an airport? Now, that's assuming you can find one, of course. And the answer to that question is no. There's a big difference between a wall outlet and a charging station that includes cables intended to fit popular mobile phones and tablets. But let's start by examining Authenticate's experiment. At the most recent RSA conference in San Francisco, the company offered a free charging station. Now bear in mind that the RSA conference is for security professionals. About 45,000 people attend one of the group's events every year in the U.S., Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Authenticate says that 80% of the people who used its free charging station did so without asking anything about security. Unlike computers that have separate connectors for power and data, smartphones and tablets combine power and data on a single port, and that's where the danger lies. If you have your own power supply, Plugging it into a power outlet presents no danger, at least as long as the power supply is designed to work with the electrical system in question. Throughout North America, power standards are identical, and many power supplies are actually designed to work with electrical systems found elsewhere in the world. In any event, there is no data security risk. But a device that connects to your smartphone's data and charging port could be used to extract data while charging the device. 
Your phone can be locked, what manufacturers call charging-only mode, but it still exposes the device name, vendor name, and serial number. The safest way to charge your device is with a power supply that plugs into a wall outlet or with a portable battery pack. Charging stations should be thought of in the same way that we think about open Wi-Fi hotspots. Far too many people seem to be unconcerned about security for mobile devices. If you think your mobile device really doesn't have any important information on it, step back and give that another thought. How many photographs are there? What about address lists? Phone numbers? Are there links to your bank's or credit card's online interface? A lost or stolen device can create a serious problem that might take a lot of time to fix. Most phones have a default setting that allows the device to install applications only when they come from the device's associated store. There's a way to override that, and occasionally that's necessary. But most of us know that installing apps from outside the store can be dangerous. That doesn't necessarily mean that all apps in the store are safe, though. The stores themselves have suffered breaches and have occasionally served malware to users. As with other computing devices, regardless of their size or portability, strong passwords are essential for mobile devices. The more complicated the password, the better. Entering a complex password on a small device can be challenging, and that's why we have password managers. No computing device should allow bypassing the lock screen without a password. Once you're in, use the password manager for apps and the online logins that need them. Is your mobile device encrypted? It should be. Fortunately, that is now the default for most devices. And updates are every bit as important on a mobile device as on a desktop or notebook computer. When security flaws are found, developers push corrections out as patches. These are useless unless you allow them to be installed. And open Wi-Fi systems, convenient as they are, can be a gigantic security hole. It's relatively trivial for crooks to snoop on information when you're connected to an open Wi-Fi system unless you have a virtual private network or VPN application installed. Some of these are free, and they will be adequate for those who rarely use public Wi-Fi. If you travel a lot or frequently need to use an open Wi-Fi system, a VPN service is a worthwhile expense. Let's just call this one why you don't want that BIOS update. The embarrassing thing here is that I knew better, yet when Lenovo insisted that a BIOS update was really, really important, I agreed to having the system install it. Now that's almost always a mistake, and it was this time too. The general rule is this. If you're not having any problems that can be traced to the BIOS, don't install an update. Now that sounds like the exact opposite of everything we're told about updates. We're told to install them without delay, at least those for operating systems. BIOS updates are different animals. BIOS, that's an acronym for Basic Input Output System, 
is what holds the firmware used at boot time to initialize the computer's hardware. It performs some initial tests and then loads the code needed to continue the boot process by reading information from a disk drive. The BIOS once provided runtime services for the operating system and programs that run on the computer, although that function has generally been eliminated. The BIOS in more modern computers is actually called UEFI, but nobody seems to know how to pronounce that, so we still just call it BIOS. UEFI is the Unified Extensible Firmware Interface, and it provides enhanced security at the hardware level. In some cases, a system problem can be resolved by a BIOS update. But these updates can also cause problems and even make it impossible to boot the computer. Other devices, such as routers, also have BIOS circuits that can be updated. Updating the BIOS on the router I use would render the attached network storage drive invisible. I found that out the hard way. Rolling the update back was easy enough but the router repeatedly tells me that an update is available. After accidentally installing the router update a second time, I have made copious notes reminding myself not to update that router's BIOS. And I generally practice BIOS update avoidance for computers, too. But Lenovo was insistent about this update, and some of the other Lenovo system management tools don't function the way they should, so a BIOS update seemed at least plausible. It wasn't. The update ran as expected, but when the computer attempted to boot, it stalled before any graphical user interface components loaded. To figure out where the conflict was, I started unplugging USB devices. No change. At some point, it occurred to me to take the computer out of its docking station, and then the computer booted normally. However, putting the computer back into the docking station once the computer had booted resulted in gigantic text on the external monitors. So the conflict involved the monitors and possibly the docking station. Additional research later showed that other users with external monitors, whether they have a docking station or not, experienced the same problem. The BIOS update was version 1.42, and, as I found on Lenovo's user forum website, the last known good version was 1.38. I hadn't installed any version after 1.38, so that's the version I needed. Because of the UEFI security measures, that's the earliest version I could roll back to. Even so, that couldn't be done until I modified a BIOS setting that would block any attempt to install an older version over a newer version. So overall, the process of diagnosing, researching, and fixing the result of a bad BIOS update took about four hours over three days. And that is why the general rule is, if you're not having any problems that can be traced to the BIOS, don't install an update. In short circuits, here comes another approach to that old Nigerian scam. Recently, I was pondering the absence of mail from people in Nigeria who want to give me vast sums of money, 
and all I have to do is help them move various inheritance or ill-gotten gains or windfalls out of the country. Most of those scams were written so poorly, some believe intentionally, that only an imbecile would fall for it. So I thought that all of the imbeciles had been bilked out of whatever money they had, or that enough people had finally become sufficiently intelligent that there was no longer a future for that scam. But apparently not. This week I received a message from someone who claims to be a 52-year-old mining services consultant and project director who advises several mining companies on liquefied natural gas exports and storage. He does this in South Africa. But now the South African government wants him to be the new spokesperson for South African Airways. I'm sure he is a mining consultant, and I'm equally sure that the South African Airways wants him for their spokesperson. The message explains that the Ministry of Energy and Mineral Resources, where he worked as Director of Auditing and Project Implementation, Mining and Quarrying, handles hundreds of billions of rands per year. A rand is worth about eight cents at the current exchange rate. His pitch was this. I write, asking for your indulgence in reprofiling funds to the tune of 52 million United States dollars, which we want to keep safely overseas under your supervision. In other words, we would like you to receive said funds on our behalf. The funds were derived over time from a project awarded by a foreign firm by my department and presently the actual contract costs have been paid to the original project executors, leaving the balance in the tune of said amount, which we have in principle obtained approval to remit overseas. In other words, he's pitching this as a way for you to get your hands on money that he says he's embezzled. The approach is a little different. He says he is currently in the United States for a short holiday. So, Dr. Bernard Mokina wants to give me 23% of his stolen money if I'll just help him and his partners get the money out of South Africa. The part that I find most interesting about this scam is that the writer claims to be in the United States right now. Now this opens up all sorts of possibilities for the scammer. But at its core, it's just the same old wolf in a new sheep suit. <laughs> Ars Technica had an article this week about malware aimed at Macs. It secretly takes control of webcams, can capture what's typed on keyboards, and can see data on the system. None of that is particularly surprising, but this part is. The malware has been infecting Macs for at least five years, possibly ten. This is the first we've heard of it. The article says that a researcher at security firm Synac compares the malware to a malicious program that was discovered in January. It's been given the name Fruitfly. Current versions of the Mac OS will detect the malware. The researcher found some 400 infected Macs, mostly in the United States, connected to the malware's command and control server. But there are lots of mysteries, including how the malware spreads and what it's really intended to do. There's no evidence, for example, that it installs ransomware or captures usernames and passwords. The original command and control server is no longer online, so possibly the creator just abandoned the project. The article notes that the infections were unnoticed for an uncommonly long period. So if you have a Mac, never say never. 
And if you'd like to read the full article, you'll find it on the Ars Technica website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Maybe you've heard all of the gnashing of teeth this week. Microsoft will eliminate paint from Windows 10's next edition. Oh, boo-hoo. Well, that's fake news. A half-truth. Call it what you will, I would call it a lie. Here's what's really going to happen. Microsoft will deprecate paint. After all, this is an application that shipped with Windows 1.0. And even then, it wasn't all that great. It has been updated over the years, of course, but it's still not much of an application. But it's not going to be gone. Paint will still be in Windows 10 for a while. It just won't be updated. After all, it's 32 years old, and technology, both hardware and software, has changed a lot since 1985. Yes, 1985. But guess what? In the last Windows 10 upgrade, Microsoft introduced Microsoft Paint 3D. So if you fell for the overblown stories about big bad old Microsoft taking away the most important part of Windows, Paint, relax. You can use the brand new Paint 3D or continue to use the old Paint if you want. It'll just now be frozen in time. And when will Paint really be removed from Windows? Probably never. There are still lots of old applications out there rattling around in the Windows cage, including a bunch of command line utilities that even predate Windows. And a couple of things rattling around in spare parts, only on the website. This week, could Adobe's next frontier be virtual reality? This seems like it's pretty likely. And desktop computers and tablets are declining in sales, but tablet-like two-in-one devices could take over as the primary business computer soon. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.